If you have your Bible this morning, if you'll turn to the book of the Revelation in chapter 21. The book of the Revelation in chapter 21. Thank you so much, Travis. I'll have you do this every Sunday. You got it. Just come up and help me. All right. Revelation chapter 21. Set that there. In the precious word of God this morning and uh, looking forward to our time in... The Word of God. One of the things that uh, is hard for me uh, is to actually go on vacation. It usually takes me about three days uh, to stop uh, the wheels turning, the wheels of ministry. I can tell you that uh, the wheels do not ever stop turning. Uh, you're on my heart, you're in my thoughts, you're in my prayers, day in and day out. Uh, sometimes I go to sleep. Uh, this may be a little weird for you to know, but I go to sleep thinking about you and praying for you, and I wake up wondering what God has done through my prayers. Has he answered my prayers? Which way has he answered the prayers? Certainly we know he answers prayers, but uh, certainly going on vacation, it's hard, and I know, you know, we were praying for Shauna and her test as we left on vacation, and, uh, and, and certainly... I, this morning, like when I saw Steve, that's exciting to see Steve, and I know Sonny had his surgery, and uh, I'm thankful, Sonny, that you turned it over to the Lord. The Lord is going to take care of that heart, and uh, if he didn't, Jamie was going to take care of it. And uh, so I knew you were, you, were, you were covered either way, <laughs> and, uh, and so the Lord was going to uh, provide, and so it's just an amazing thing to get away, but it's very difficult for me to stop the wheels of ministry turning. It's also very difficult for me to go away uh, understanding, you know, that you're still here. And so that's something that is uh, very, very difficult. But uh, I, uh, as I said, I was blessed uh, to be able to read a couple of books and, and to be able to just unwind for a little while and, and really to spend time with my funny little honey. And uh, we were reminded on this vacation that uh, life, this season of life is going to be very different for us. Uh, now that Casey has graduated high school and he is heading off to uh, West Virginia University in, in here in a, about a month or so. And, and so we started thinking, uh, I don't know, I was a little bit sullen. I don't know if you know what the word sullen is, but I was a little bit sullen and, uh, you know... Introspective, if you please, uh, wondering about this season of life for me. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this message and celebrating the fact that one of the greatest promises we have in Scripture we find in the book of the Revelation and in other places all throughout Scripture, and that is the promise of eternity. And uh, what a precious promise from God's Word. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And I may be hobbling around a little bit, so we're going to move that, that scooter chair or whatever this is off to the side. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And God, we thank you for your word. God, I do thank you for the time that we had to, to really relax. And certainly it was profitable for my foot to bring about healing and God, I pray that you continue to uh, work in that healing process as you see fit. God, we thank you for the miracles and answers to prayer that we have experienced over these past uh, many days of people who have come through surgeries, people who have come off the bed of affliction, those that have uh, 
have been in the hospital even this week and are now out of the hospital. God, we thank you for those answers to prayer. God, I pray that today as we look at your word, God, that you will open up the mind and you will open up the hearts, the depository where we might find your word resting in our hearts today. God, I pray for the one who may be in this room or may be listening online that has never placed their faith in the risen Savior of the world. God, I pray that you'll speak to them in a mighty way. God, that you'll use your word today as only you can. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because as your word reminds me, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. God, I love you and I give you the praise for what you'll do in the precious name of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for his honor and glory, I pray. Amen. As I said, today we've come to another promise. And uh, I started in my notes, I'll be transparent with you. I said we've come to the culmination of this series on promises. However, I may do one more. We may talk about one more promise next week. We'll see how the Lord works. But whether this is the last one or one to come, we've been through uh, six other promises, and certainly there's so many in God's Word, but we've been through six other promises, and uh, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully these promises have been an encouragement to you, because as we look at God's promises, we're reminded of His love, His concern, and His care for us. When we think about the promise of forgiveness, when we think about the promise of peace and the promises that we have through prayer and on and on as we consider all the glorious promises we have, it, it helps me to remind myself that God really does love me. That he loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for me and my sins and the sins of the world. And so we'll not be able to cover it all <laughs> if you please, but we'll just kind of scratch the surface when we consider the promise of eternity. And I want to start by asking the question, have you really ever stopped? Have you ever really stopped to consider what eternity will be like? In, in, in other words, what it's going to be like for you and I to live with God forever and forever and forever and forever. Have you ever stopped to do that? You see, I'm reminded uh, there's an iconic song out there that says, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it'll be, what that day will be like. When before me, when, when we're standing in front of Jesus, and many of you have heard that song, and it does a great job to, to paint a picture of us to get us thinking and to consider eternity. But I'm also reminded that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, he actually wrote to the church at Corinth. This was a church that was struggling, and here's what he had to say. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Oh, listen, truly eternity is going to be about much more than just a simple little place that we like to call heaven. Oh, there's going to be so much other, so many other things going on. Some people have actually suggested that eternity is going to be, and I know this really will probably get you excited because I can tell the enthusiasm level in here is just overwhelming, but some people have suggested that eternity is just going to be one big old never-ending church service. Who wants to go? Y'all are saying, I'm ready to go to lunch. No, folks, I'm sorry, but that's not what Scripture tells us. 
Scripture does not say eternity is going to be one long church service where Pastor Greg will drone on and drone on and drone on about Jesus. No. Eternity is so much more than that. So as we begin, in your mind's eye, consider this question. How do you, not how does your neighbor, not how does your husband, not how does your wife, not how do your children, but how do you, how do I view eternity? And then maybe stop for a second. Have you actually ever considered that? Have you ever actually stopped to consider how you view eternity? What do you think about, I put this down, what do you think about when you ponder eternity? What comes to thought? What consumes your mind when you start to think of the word eternity? Have you ever really taken time to read about it, to consider it? Uh, as believers, I ask the question, do we buy up the opportunities that we have when we think about eternity or, uh, eternity or the responsibilities also that we have? Or are we just simply living life? For ourselves, day in and day out, with no care, no thought, no consideration when it comes to eternity. If that's you, if that's, and by the way, that's probably been all of us at some point, right? Living for ourselves and not really thinking about the things that are eternal. Can I tell you, we're missing out. If that's you, if that's me, at any time you're missing out on one of the greatest and most precious promises from God's word. Years ago, it was A.W. Tozer, the pastor and teacher, who said these words. He said, apart from God, nothing matters. He said, we think that health matters. We think that freedom matters, or knowledge, or art, or civilization. And but for one insistent word, they would all matter indeed. That word is eternity. Christian apologist and author C.S. Lewis he also said years ago, he said, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must either be true or false. He says, now there are good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live but 70 years. He said, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. He went on to say this about Christianity. He said, if you read the history books, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. All would leave their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's only since Christians and Christianity have ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Essentially, what C.S. Lewis was saying is that living a life of eternal value requires that you and I live daily, daily, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, daily with an eternal, yes, the word comes up again, focus. Eternal focus. In other words, the question, how do we view eternity, becomes pretty important. Paul, through the inspiration of God, if you'll hold your position at Revelation 21, I want you to see something just a few pages back in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't have your Bible, there's one in the pew back, or probably you have a program on your phone, you can look it up in U version. But here's what I want you to see in God's Word. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul put it this way. C.S. Lewis was talking about how we view eternity. Paul gives us some information as well. 
that's biblical. And he says, if you then be risen, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, he said, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Notice what he says, verse 4, when Christ... When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, when we read about this, when we read these verses and we think about these verses, it can be very easy to do. But actually putting them into practice can be so difficult. I mean, who actually gets up in the morning, and, and I'm not looking for the super spiritual to raise your hand this morning, but who actually gets up every morning with clockwork, setting their affections on things above. To be quite transparent, this morning I came into the office and I set my, set my things out and Casey actually drove me up here to the office, which is a miracle in and of itself that he was awake that early. Um, and he drove me up here and he took my things into the office and set them on my desk and whatnot. And it wasn't long before I was setting my affection on something else. The Keurig coffee maker. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, it's so easy to get off track to where we're setting our affections on everything else in this life except for the things that God actually wants us to focus on. By the way, if all we think about when we contemplate eternity, I've heard it put this way also, not only some people think eternity is a never-ending church service, some people think about, oh, I can't wait to float on the clouds, all in a place called heaven. Can I tell you, if you're thinking about a never-ending church service, if you're thinking about floating on a cloud or somewhere, you're missing out, but also those thoughts can become very monotonous. If all we think we're going to do is float on a cloud, if all we think we're going to do is sit in a pew at an eternal church service, I can tell you not only is that not biblical, but that can become anticlimactic and monotonous. That's not what Scripture says. So that's why having a view, a proper view of eternity is so incredibly important. I'm not the first one to use this illustration. In fact, I think Travis has done this before, Francis Chan and some other pastors and teachers. Not all of them I would agree with, but... They've used this illustration. The problem with us, when Paul says to set our affections on things above, we typically set our affections on this right here. This little piece of rope represents our life. You may have seen this illustration before. This represents our 72.2 years of life, or I think the life expectancy has actually gone up, right? And so, so maybe here in the United States, 78.8. I don't know what the exact number is, but we set our affections on this. Our childhood, our teenage years. We set our affection on graduating from high school, graduating from college, getting the good job, getting the, uh, the beautiful wife or the handsome husband. We set our affection on the retirement home. We set our affection on this, that, and the other, and then boom! What happened? Pastor Greg went out into eternity. Oh, by the way, when I go out into eternity, don't be sorry for me because I'm going to get carried away when I get carried away, as the old song says. So we think about that instead of, Trevor, come help me. 
No, no, right here. I'm going to give you the rope. I want you to just pull it on back there. Keep going back there instead of thinking about eternity that will go on and 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 go on. Now stop right there for a second. Now flip it over the edge of the pew. Chuck, all the people by the edge of the pew, pick it up and hold it up. Hold it up. And let me ask you a question. Paul says, set your affections on things above. What are, we, what are we focused on? Oh, by the way, there's more rope, lest you think, lest you think there's more to eternity than the rope I have up here. Are we focused on this? Are we focused on that? See, you can put that down. Leave that there because I want to illustrate that again in a little while to draw our attention to the importance of how we view eternity. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 18, the Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall, reveal, that shall be revealed in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses 16, 17, and 18, some incredible words from uh, God's word. But look at verse number 18. The Bible says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, notice this rope, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. My friends, God not only created you and I to experience all the splendor, all the glory, all the beauty of the physical life, but he has created us specifically to enjoy and to experience and to celebrate. I love to celebrate the eternal. Oh, how we view eternity is so incredibly important. And sadly, sadly, my friends, many, many waste a lifetime searching for peace and contentment in all the wrong places. I used to quote that song, searching for love in all the wrong places. If you were around in the 1970s, you know that song. But go ahead and fill in the word peace. Go ahead and fill in the word contentment. Go ahead and fill in whatever word it is that you're looking for. And the reality is that most of us spend a lifetime looking for those things, but we do so looking for them in the wrong places. You see, because nothing in this world is sufficient. It will fade away. It will fall apart soon and very soon. Yesterday and even this morning, I found myself getting aggravated at the man's yard down the road. His yard looks amazing. As we drove by, did I not, Casey? As we drove by this one house, the man has trees everywhere. I've cleared out the trees so I could get some sunshine on the grass. And all I have is a bunch of crab grass and a bunch of weeds. This man's grass looks like it is Augusta National Golf Course with trees everywhere. And as we drove by, I had to stop myself. I said, look at that guy's grass. And I said, I'm thankful for my yard. I'm thankful for my yard. Oh, we have to be careful, my friends. Everything will fall apart. Everything will fall short. Truly, we need to be focusing on the eternal. Jesus actually said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. In verses 19 and following, when he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through to steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through to steal. He's saying that there's coming a day when the thieves will no longer be able to get through. Praise the Lord. Oh, he says, 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this world will ever bring you joy. Nothing will bring you peace. Nothing will bring you contentment. Only Jesus can do that. Thank you. Thank you. Only Jesus can do that, my friends. And his word gives us some promises. So look with me in Revelation 21. And look what the Bible says in Revelation 21, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from where? From God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things shall be passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Folks, one day and one day, we don't know when that day will come because the Bible also tells us that the, the coming of the Son of Man will be as it was in the days of Noah. We'll not know the hour. We'll not know the minute. But one day and one day soon, Jesus is coming back. Oh, and that begins a trans transformation process that will begin to set everything in order. One day, all pollution and impurities, all ungodliness and evil, all the suffering and pain, all the corruption and death will be done away with. It's going to be destroyed. How amazing is that? This is the glorious message of the book of the Revelation. That one day, Jesus is going to take care of everything that you and I concern ourselves with today. I wonder about this. I was in a beautiful place. And there were beautiful sunsets and those things where the sky looks pink and orange and yellow and purple. Oh, I love it. And magenta and all these beautiful colors all at the same time. Have you ever looked up at the sky at night when there's a full moon out? Have you ever looked up and looked at the stars and the moon? And, and quite honestly, when you were a kid, maybe you had one of those... those uh, telescopes that really didn't work but they sold it to you anyway you remember those I remember I got one when I was a little kid I was like this thing doesn't work it was because it was cheap I could hardly see my neighbor's backyard let alone the starry starry night have you ever though looked up at heaven and been like this Have you ever looked out the window here at 4361 Lee Highway and looked at the rolling hills? Oh, be careful if you've never done it. And just said, wow, look at, oh, the beauty of God's creation. Here's the point. One day, the Bible says it's all going away. God says, it's not good enough. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. One day it will all melt away, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, this earth and the heavens, they will all melt away with fervent heat. Oh, yes, soon and very soon. Oh, we're going to see the king. Notice a couple of phrases here in the verses that I just read. Notice in verse 1, it says, 
that John, who was given a glimpse of glory, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Guys, you and I cannot even begin to imagine how perfect, how beautiful, how amazing, how indescribable, how perfect and beautiful. I mean, I can't even think of words to describe it. And yet John, oh, what a, what a guy who is given a vision of this. He gets to see it in advance. He says one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and they're going to come out of heaven from God. That means that God is creating them. You remember Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Oh, that's what he told his disciples in John chapter 14. Oh, soon and very soon, it's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Look at verse 2. It says, the holy city. Notice the phrase, I saw John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The holy city, this is, folks, this is going to be the capital city of the new universe. Not the new earth, the new universe that will be created by our heavenly father. It's a, it's a holy place, a sanctuary, if you please, because God is going to be there in it. See, this is going to be a place where the saints of God will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Here's the reality. As the bride of Christ, you and I one day will get into this beautiful abyss known as eternity, and you will have a job to do. Chuck, retirement is for this life. When we get into eternity, you're going to be put back to work. Oh, and we will be working with smiles on our faces. You say, well, where do you get that? Where do you get that? Well, look at verse 4. Look at the phrases in verse 4. It says in verse 4, it talks about the sufferings. Life is going to be perfected. It talks about the sufferings being, being gone. Notice it says, and God shall wipe away. How many tears is he going to wipe away? I, I'll be honest with you guys. I have a problem. It's called moisty eye syndrome. I don't cry, but I often get moisty eye syndrome. One day... The tears will be wiped away. One day there'll be no more aging, no more murder, no more wars to be fought or to be considered, no more miscarriages, no more dying mothers or fathers, no more dying siblings, no more dying children, no more, no more funerals, no more cemeteries. They'll all be put out of business because he says there will be no more tears, no more death. Neither sorrow, notice this phrase, no sorrow. There'll be no more brokenness, no more regret, guilt, failure, weakness, no homelessness in that day. No hunger, no thirst. The Bible says also, look at verse 4, no crying. You see, one day there'll be no more disappointment. You see, the reason we cry is many times we are disappointed with the circumstances of our life and we begin to cry. We begin to wonder if God really cares for us. One day God says there'll be no more crying. Right? No more disappointment, no more sorrow, no more arguments, no more cursing, no more divisiveness, no more drugs, evil, immorality. I put here no more separations, only hellos in eternity. No more bitterness, no more burdens, no more heartache. Yes, one day, think about this and celebrate it. All the crying will cease. There'll be no, it also goes on, it says, neither shall there be any more pain. Anybody dealing with a pain right now? Besides the one sitting next to you? I asked Jerry Stanley how he felt this morning. 
And he says, I feel good. And I got nervous as I announced the Alabama missions trip and that it was a building trip. He got a little gleam in his eye and started to shine up his circular saws and everything. And he says, well, I got run over by a car. That didn't do it. Now I got to take care of this cancer. And I said, but how do you feel? And he said, I feel pretty good. The Bible says that one day there'll be no more pain, Jerry. Oh, the creator of this universe who is going to create the new heavens and the new earth says there'll be no more pain. By the way, the reason that we experience so much sorrow, everybody always wants to know why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a fallen world. The reason we experience so much sorrow and suffering and pain is because we live in a fallen world. Remember the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, uh, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But praise the Lord, praise the Lord, there's coming a day when there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering. It's called eternity. In verse number 5, you say, you say, well, why do you say there's coming a day when there's going to be no more sin, no more suffering? Well, right there in your Bible. In verse number 4, it says, and the former things will be passed away. And then verse number 5, actually verse number 5 says this, uh, I make all things new. Oh, the promise of eternity. Oh, it should resonate with each and every one of us. We ought to celebrate it. You see, because God plan, God's plan that he had at the beginning of time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where this went wrong. You see, in the Garden of Eden, that old subtle serpent, he got Eve to think that that tree was good, and she gave it to her husband. And Adam sinned because he knew he shouldn't eat it. God told him, he said, you can have everything in the garden except for that tree. But he was focused on this rather than the God of this. All the way back, it got him off track. But the word of God reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 26 that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Oh yes, eternity. Time will be over. The millennial reign of Jesus. The thousand year kingdom will be over. The great white throne judgment will be over. Time will no longer operate as we know it because we we, as the bride of Christ, will be in, be in eternity. There's no greater hope than eternity. Notice on in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 6 through 8, describe to us uh, who will be the citizens of this new heaven and new earth. If you wonder this morning, say, am I going to go there? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Look at verse number 5 again. The Bible says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, This saying to John, he said, right, for these words are true and faithful. Now notice what he says. And he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
Folks, as citizens of the new heaven and new earth, new earth will be those who thirst for life. And so ask yourself, am I thirsty this morning? Do I thirst for life? You see, because those who thirst for life, this simply means those who know God, know the salvation, the forgiveness, and the cleansing of God, those who walk with God. You say, well, what does it mean to walk with God? It means to take his word where he gives us instructions and to apply them into our lives and to put them into practice. See, walking with God is more than just showing up for a worship service and then Monday through Saturday living for this. Walking with God means that we are enjoying the blessings of God and our lives seek to bring Him honor and glory. Not because uh, we have to. Oh, forgiveness is free. But out of the great love wherewith God has loved us and regenerated our lives, redeemed us, right, from the slavery block of sin, would that not cause you to respond in love? If I were to take you out to lunch, I've used this illustration before. If I were to take you out to lunch this afternoon, what would you say? Other than having to spend time with me at lunch. If I were to pay for your lunch, you might say, thank you. One person would say, thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're batting a thousand. What do we say for this? See, living with God is less about you and all about Him. It's all about Him. That's why it's so important for us to understand and really to come to grips with what our view of eternity is all about. Where is our focus? Where is our focus in this life? In John chapter 1, the Bible said in verse number 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In Galatians chapter 4, verse number 6 and 7, the Bible says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, an heir, an heir, an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Let's look on because I want to read this for you before we conclude. Look at verse number 9 in Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven. Again, where is it coming? From God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Uh, we'll get in, you can get into this in your own personal study, but you hear jasper and you immediately think green. But if you understand the context and the Greek usage here, you would understand this is probably more like a diamond. Oh, it's clear. It's going to be beautiful. And it says here in verse number 12, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. 
And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And, the measured the, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of man, that is of an angel. Notice the angel of God gives John a bird's eye view of this great city coming out of heaven. And as the light and the glory of God passes through the city, John is given this glimpse. And really, the reality is that the city is shining like diamonds. Usually, they used to say a woman's best friend was diamonds or chocolate or what are these things? Typically, engagement rings will have diamonds on them. Not always, but many times they will have diamonds as a symbol of the bridegroom's extreme love for the bride-to-be. Can you imagine what eternity will be like when the glory of God passes through the city and the city shines? It's like living in the diamond city. You say, well, how is that even going to be possible? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, in verse number 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In John chapter 1, in verse number 9, the Bible reminds us that Jesus Christ is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. His glory and his light is going to shine in eternity. Oh, how beautiful, how picturesque it's going to be, folk, going to be. And I don't know about you, but I hope you're beginning to get the picture. It's amazing to me how Mary Poppins can say the song and talk about supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I can tell you the most supercalifragilisticexpialidocious place ever is going to be eternity. Say that ten times. It's truly indescribable when we look at the glory of eternity. In verse number 12, the Bible told us about the great city and the high walls and the 12 gates and the beautiful thing if you remember what I read it said there's three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the east three gates on the west the picture there if you use a compass in your mind's eye is that there are gates facing everywhere in the earth which reminds us that whosoever will is welcome in eternity Oh, eternity is for everyone. The 12 foundations that are layered. The Bible describes the city's shape and size. Think about it. Talked about uh, furlongs and people are like, what's a furlong? Well, if we do the math to today and we work it out, verse number 16 tells us that eternity, this, this new heaven and this new earth that's in a four square shape and it's got all these gates and all these doors, it tells us, are you ready for this, architects? It tells us, that the city is going to be 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles deep. Now, I'm not that smart, but I have a calculator that is. And I did the math. That's 3,375,000,000 cubic feet. Now, think about it. John says he saw it coming out of heaven. He's given a glimpse. Can you imagine if you were to look up and see something almost 4 billion cubic feet large coming out of heaven from God? That reminds me, any place that has 4 billion cubic feet, it's got plenty of room for you. It's got plenty of room for everyone. 
that wants to call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful thing when we think about heaven. God's word is confirming that the new capital city of this universe is going to be large enough for everyone. In fact, Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Looking on, verse number 18, I've got to wrap this up. The Bible says, In the building of the wall of it was as jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth a sardonyx, the sixth the sardius, the seventh the chrysolite, the eighth a beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, uh, jacinth and the twelfth an uh, amethyst. And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Anybody seen a gate of that enormous size? Have you ever seen a pearl that big? Oh, think about the gates of the new heaven and the new earth. And the street of it was pure gold as it were transparent glass. Oh, the city is completely surrounded. Think about this. The city is completely surrounded with a wall that is 1,500 miles wide. And it said 144 cubits thick. By the way, if you do the math, that's 266 feet thick. Oh, and it's just going to be pure beauty. Oh, this is eternity, folks. Verse 18 reveals that the walls are made of jasper and that the city will be pure gold. By the way, it says the pure gold is clear as glass. If you look down, I look down, that's not pure as glass. See, we operate in a much uh, reduced form of gold. And many times we actually operate in what we call fool's gold. But when I read this passage, we're talking about God's gold. Oh, it's going to be pure as glass. It's going to be beautiful. And look, I, I want you to see this. And you can take a picture or whatever. Show up the 12 foundations that it talks about. The first foundation, jasper, a green and rock-like crystal. Sapphire, sky blue, spotted with gold. Chalcedony, a green stone, much like the green on a peacock's tail. You ever seen a peacock's tail? Look at emerald, a green stone, the greenest of all greens. Sardonyx, a variation of onyx stone. A lot of you, when you think of onyx, you think of a black stone. But sardonyx is a white stone that has red and brown that, that lines through it. You see sardius, a blood red stone. Chrysolite, a shining stone with a gold radiance. Beryl, which is sea blue or sea green stone. Topaz, by the way, when you say topaz, most of the people will think blue. They think blue. Uh, I remember getting Krista uh, uh, what is called a, a, a Caribbean topaz that was kind of a green and a purple tint. The reality is topazes are actually transparent. The impurities in the topaz are what bring the color out. But the most valuable of topaz in this world is what is called the imperial topaz. And that is a topaz that is more like the setting sun. Oh, yellow, pink, and pink, orange. Chrysopera, process, an apple green stone, a jacinth, a violet, blush purple stone, an amethyst. Most people understand amethyst is also a purpley color, but more brilliant than a jacinth. Oh, listen, it's going to be a, and by the way, it says the foundations are going to be garnished. Have you ever garnished a Thanksgiving dinner? You got the turkey and you garnish it with all these other things, accoutrement around it. Oh, what a day that will be when we are in eternity. You see, Paul was really right. He was incredibly right 
when he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Jesus said it in a one-verse parable. You say, there's one-verse parables? Yes, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, Jesus said it this way when he said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. And which a man hath found, he hideth. And for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that healed. Listen, please hear me when I say this. You don't want to miss out on the splendor and the beauty and the incredibleness, if I could say it that way, of eternity. I want to read as we close. Look back. Look back at verse 22. In verse 22, the Bible says, And I saw no temple therein. John sees the city and he sees no temple therein. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did enlighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in that light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no more night. Then they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and they shall know in, in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they, notice who's coming, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, notice what reappears from Genesis chapter 2, verse number 9, and Genesis chapter 3, verses 22. Notice what shows up again. It's the tree of life. You remember when Adam sinned in the garden? God says in verse 22 of chapter 3, we got to kick him out of the garden because if he eats of the tree of life, he will become immortal and there's no way that sin and condemnation can enter into immortality. But in the end of it all, notice the tree of life reappears and it says, which bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and there need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show this unto his servants, the things which must shortly be done. And then Jesus says in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And notice what happens in verse 8 and number 9. John says, When I saw these things, and when I heard these things, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. And notice what the angel says. And here's a great reminder for us today. The angel says, See thou, do it not. He stops. John drops down and he starts to worship the angel and the angel says, don't you dare do it. And why does the angel say it? Notice what verse number 9 says. He says, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. And then the angel of the Lord gives John one final message. Worship God. Worship God. 
He says, if you want to worship somebody, God has allowed me to give you this glimpse. You have seen a glimpse of what is to come. And Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. He says, if you want to worship somebody, the angel says, you stop worshiping me. You worship God. I can't even get into all the intricate details of this passage. I simply have taken you on a journey to maybe ignite a new fire, a new zeal in the heart of you as a believer. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I've, I've shared this with you from my heart of hearts that you can know that you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. It's very simple. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And with all the beautiful picturesque settings of eternity and all that will take place there, that you and I as citizens of this new heaven and earth, all the things that will be done, oh, why not trust Jesus today? Why not make him the Lord of your life? It has been said by many a pastor that paradise lost in the garden will once again be paradise regained in eternity. Oh, the circle is coming around. God's purposes have not fallen short. He is working all things out. And soon and very soon, you and I will experience the splendor of eternity. And so I beg you this morning to just call out unto the Lord and say, Lord, help me to worship you. Help me to direct my focus in the right place. Help me to focus and set my affection on things above. Lord, help me to do this in your strength. Lord, help me to focus on the things that matter most. If this is all that matters to you, and quite honestly, we've all been there, done that, then we miss out on this. I'm sorry, Jim. You guys can let it go. Let go of eternity, sir. <laughs> let go of my prop. We miss out. Because forever and ever and ever and ever and on and on, we will be with Jesus, the one who loved you, the one who loved me. The one who laid down his life as the ransom so that you and I could be with him to rule and to reign throughout all eternity. Oh, I pray, I pray that that's your desire. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.